begin by asking us this question. How do we define lifestyle? A lifestyle, according to the dictionary, is defined as the way in which a person lives. It's a lifestyle. Okay? A way, the way in which a person lives. And I think that a person, a person will only choose to live in a particular way because he or she believes in it. So if a lifestyle is defined as the way in which we choose to live our lives, then what lifestyle do we subscribe to, both you and I? In the book, yes, I can't, that's this book. You remember this book? Some of you would remember this book. Those of you who went through the Apprentice series with Reverend Yong Wai Yin will know this book, The Good and Beautiful Life. In this book, the writer has written stories about people's lifestyle. And in particular, in particular, at the start of the book, in particular, he mentions about two persons. Two persons. And the first person he mentions is by the name of Ben Jacobs. So as I, as I tell you this story, you might remember. Ben was Ben Jacobs. Huh? Ben was born in the year 1910. He, he's no longer alive now, okay? Now it's 2018, okay? 1910. He made his first million in his 20s. By the age of 45, he was the richest man in his state. And politicians wanted to be his friend. He lied, cheated, and stole from whomever he could. And he says, huh? His motto in life, okay, his way of life, his motto in life, according to him, was very simple, okay, but don't follow, okay, it's very simple, is take all you can from whomever you can. Okay. Cannot follow, huh? Take all you can from whomever you can. So Ben was a super wealthy guy, people were impressed with him, and he had lots of Power. And because of that, he probably had a lot of influence. And he had, you know, he had about 2,000 employees, and these employees either looked up to him or they were terrified of him. You know, he had three wives, again, cannot follow, huh? Three, three wives, all of them had left him either because of neglect or they caught him in one of his many affairs. And he had one daughter, only one daughter, one child who is refusing to speak to him. And by the time that this story of him was written, he was already 75 years old and is living in a retirement center. He still had a lot of money, but he reckons that he had ruined his life. He had no joy, and he sits there in the retirement center waiting to die. So that's Ben Jacobs, the first person. The second person the writer talks about is by, by, is by this person by the name of John Wooden. And Mr. Wooden was also born on the year 1910, same as Ben Jacobs, okay, same year, he was born the same year. And this guy, Mr. Wooden, he's a very well-known basketball coach. 
His team won many basketball championships and he coached some of the greatest players ever to play the game. And he was a man who influenced many players. And uh, he's now in his old age, so same now. Ben Jacobs was 75 years old, he's also now 75 years old. And it was said that his former players would call him often once a week, you know. Call him once a week to tell him that they love him and to thank him of, for how he had influenced their lives and to seek his advice in other areas of their lives. You know, my dear friends, this coach then shares that very early on in his life, he made up his mind to live in a particular way. Okay? He, he lived by a set of principles, and these principles were based on the Bible and on teachings of Jesus. He believed that, you know, he believed that principles such as courage, honesty, hard work, character, loyalty, and honor constituted a good life. Hence, he made those principles his lifestyle, his way of life. And because he made these kingdom principles his lifestyle, he was able to be that positive influence in the lives of many basketball players. You know, he was a coach who truly cared for the well-being of his players because he was also said, right, on the, you know, when, when he, he starts to coach a new team, for example, right? And he was actually spent the first day, the first day, uh, the first hour, okay, to, to teach his players how to put on their socks properly. You need to teach or not to put on socks. You just put on vanilla, right? But he was spent the first hour to teach the players how to put on socks because putting on socks correctly was so important because not doing so will lead to blisters. So we find these two persons, Ben Jacob and John Wooden, both born on the same year, both lived in the same era, both went through the same time, but both lived and subscribed to a very different lifestyle. Ben Jacobs was, take all you can from whomever you can, versus courage, honesty, hard work, character, loyalty, and honor. Now, what kind of lifestyle do you subscribe to, my dear friends? You know, the short passage that we are looking at today, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, is part of a very long sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's part of that. And we find that Jesus begins, begins the sermon by introducing to us a kingdom lifestyle, and he gives us a total of eight statements which describes kingdom lifestyle or rather kingdom attitudes, known as the B-attitudes. B-attitude, right? B-attitudes, B-attitudes, right? And in a sense, the kind of attitudes that one should claim to live 
if we choose to live in a kingdom lifestyle. And every statement, if you look, this is a summary, all right, if you can, if you're able to see, this is a summary, and every statement here begins with blessed are, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for their, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And it ends with this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, friends, when we decide, when we so decide to subscribe, subscribe to a kingdom lifestyle and so begin in the way that Jesus invites us, we are definitely bound to face persecution. But Jesus nonetheless asks us to rejoice and be glad in such situations because great is our reward. And it is, so it is in such situations that we are called to be an influence in the very world that is persecuting us. You know, it is interesting that Jesus does not say to us, you know, he does not say to us, be salt of the earth or be light of the world. He says, you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It is a kind of identity that Jesus gives to us when we live according to the kingdom lifestyle. So we need to ask ourselves, what kind of influence would, that, would we be? And Jesus describes, of course, two ways. One is, he asks us to be the salt. No, he says that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Now, what do we use salt for? I'm sure all the housewives here will know, right? Or people who cook, not necessarily housewives, and nowadays men also cook, right? Okay. Anybody can tell me what is salt used for? For taste? Summer? Preserve? To? Seal. Seasoning, yes. Summer? Sorry? Balance. Balance the taste. Okay, many, many usage, right? Salt. So during Jesus' time, during Jesus' time, salt was mainly used for the same reasons, lah, preservative and for seasoning of food. And we can identify with that, right? Because we still do that. If you go to the interiors, especially, and for example, if you go to Lubuk Antu, if you follow our missions team to Lubuk Antu, right? The people there still preserve their meat with salt. You know, when I went there, Whatever meat that they give was very salty, and I was wondering, why is it so salty? And it's because there isn't any electricity there. And when there's no electricity there, you cannot have a refrigerator. And no electricity, no refrigerator, then you have no meat lah, because it will be spoiled. So to, to preserve it, they will use salt. 
And during Jesus' time, salt was also used for that purpose. So if you remember that passage where the boy came with two fishes, right? Two fishes. And then, you know, Jesus multiplied the two fishes and, and then gave it to everybody. You know, most likely they were eating hamgi you know, that, that morning. Because <laughs> at that time, there was no refrigerator. Right? So it is not fried fish or steamed fish or whatever fish that you're thinking, okay? It's hamgi, right? So salt was used for that reason. And besides that, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we find that salt is also being used in two ways, right? It is used for temple sacrifices and worship, okay? So uh, salt was to be included into the offerings made for the use of temple. So the Old Testament law instructs that, you know, you have to add salt to all the offerings and season all the grain offerings with salt. We find that here, Leviticus 2.13. Season all your grain offerings with salt do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. And besides grain offerings, burnt offerings were also salted as well. Ezekiel 43, 24 says, You are to offer them before the Lord, and the priests are to sprinkle salt on them and sacrifice them as a burnt offering to the Lord. And salt is also used in making a covenant. The covenant that God made with Israel is referred to as an everlasting covenant of salt. And now we might be wondering why salt? Because salt has the quality that preserves. Remember? You all said, right? Preserves. And when, when something is preserved, it has the ability to last for a very long time. Correct? Preserved, ma? Hence, the covenant between God and Israel is described as the covenant of salt because it is meant to last for a very long time. That's why it is being referred to as the covenant of salt. So when Jesus says that, you know, you are the salt of the earth, what exactly is he asking us to do? We are called to influence our world by doing the work of preservation, right? Now, how do we do that? We live in a decaying and darkening world. Do you agree? No? We find people, you know, we find that the poor are getting poorer. We find that the sick is getting sicker. We find that the crime rates are increasing. We find that now there are more and more angry people on the road because there's more and more road bullies. And as a result of that, it is getting more and more dangerous. We find that people are getting more and more corrupted. More and more people are engaging in sexual immorality. Just beginning of this week, someone sent me a video on that. You know, and we just need to read our newspapers to find out that our world is indeed decaying and it is indeed darkening. And it is in such situations that we are called and we are given this identity that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So how can we do that? You know, friends, we may never be able to eliminate suffering. Can you eliminate it? Cannot, we cannot eliminate suffering. But we can help to ease pain and suffering by the little things that we do. 
little things that we do. You know, today is, we have designated this day as the Social Concerns Sunday. And you will find that our social concerns are involved in various work that preserves life. You know, we cannot eliminate suffering, but we can help to preserve life in the community. And we find that we are involved in crisis relief work. We find that we are involved, like for example, in the McCallum Ministry. We find that we are involved with the work that it focuses on children and adults with special needs. We are involved in schoolwork through the MBS reading program. You know, friends, I think, you know, I think it is safe to say, to say this. I think it is safe to say that the majority of us here, we know how to read. We know how to read, all right? And, and if we know how to read, then I think we will be able to teach and coach a child to read. You know, we don't need a master's in the English language. I really don't think we need that in order to teach our students how to read. But we, nef but we definitely need willing hearts that would love and accept our students for who they are. You know, later our sister Jaylee will come up and share with us, share with us the various work of our social concerns. And this is indeed work that, you know, we can help to preserve life. So, so maybe, maybe today we can ask ourselves this question. What can we do to help preserve the quality of life in our midst? You know, my dear friends, actions uh, always speak louder than words. Would you agree with me? Actions always speak louder than words. You know, we cannot possibly say to a people or rather witness to people, you know, that you know, God is love, you know, God is love when our actions and our lifestyle completely contradicts the fact that our God is love. You know, we lose our witness as a disciple when we lose our influence. This verse, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So in what manner can a person possibly lose his or her influence? How can a person lose his influence? In a sense, how can salt lose its saltiness? You see, salt will lose its saltiness when it is polluted or when it's corrupted. So you go home, okay, you know, I think in every kitchen there's this pot of salt, right, next to the gas stove or wherever, right? You go home, you take a bag of sand, and you throw it into the salt. Can use another salt after that. Will you be able, will you have the ability to then segregate, okay, this is sand, and this is salt? Can or not? Cannot, right? You end up throwing the whole pot away, right? Cannot, ah, throw, cannot. So, you know, so, we, 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 we lose our, our, our influence in the same manner, in the same manner, my dear friends. We lose our influence for God when we stop living our lives according to the kingdom lifestyles, the be attitudes. When we begin to subscribe to 
worldly lifestyles, when we begin to throw sand into our salt shaker, then we begin to lose our saltiness. We who are salt of the earth, we lose our saltiness. And you see, my dear friends, when we choose to live a kingdom lifestyle, our lives will surely show it. Now, it is interesting to note that, you know, this passage, right, on this, the whole passage on the Sermon on the Mount comes right after Jesus' call to repent. Jesus calls us to repent in Matthew 4. Matthew 4, 17, we find this verse, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then in Matthew chapter 5, we find this kingdom attitude, we find this sermon on the mount. And you know, my friends, it is never too late to repent of whatever lifestyles that we have been living, you know, whatever lifestyle we have been living, and begin to embrace the kingdom lifestyles that Jesus is teaching us. And when we do that, our lives will surely radiate the difference. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Our lives will surely show it. And when we choose to live kingdom lifestyles, we become salt, the earth, and we become light of the world. And when people began to see that, and this is what happened, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your, heaven, your Father in heaven. You know, our influence ought to cause people to praise God. The reason is because the very fact that we are able to, to do good deeds is because of what God has done in our midst. It is only God who is able to change our lives and transform our lives. And it's never due to our own doing. And we should never boast about the good that we do. Instead, the good that we are able to do should point people to God. You know, I, I came across another story in the book, The Good and Beautiful Life. Okay, there's another story. And some of you who, you know, you would know this story if you have read the book, okay? And it is a story of a Down syndrome young man. Young man, huh? not, not boy, huh? young man, by the name of Kevin, right? Kevin, Kevin, this boy has Down syndrome. Kevin was asked by his pastor one day to come forward to give a testimony, okay? The only problem with that is that Kevin is not able to speak. He cannot speak. And he, he only makes sounds, all right? He's Down syndrome, he makes sounds. He has been born with Down syndrome and a, and a host of many other physical problems. So he's not only Down syndrome, but he has a lot of other problems as well. And as a result of all the other complications that he has, he can only make sound, he cannot speak, you know, he cannot speak. And only his mother would understand him, what he is saying. Only his mother would understand. And so how loud to come forward and give testimony? How to give testimony? Not possible, right? So, so the pastor therefore has to speak for Kevin. 
So how that will happen is he has to ask him all the yes, no questions. So he will just say, he will just nod, lah. nod or do this. Yes, no questions. And uh, occasionally when they were having this, like, so it was like an interview, lah, right? Like interview, call, call Kevin forward and then they were asking this yes, no question. So, so the, the interview went like that, okay? Like, so the pastor asked, so Kevin, you just got back from the Special Olympics where you won a medal. Was that a lot of fun? Yes, no question, huh? Was that a lot of fun? And then Kevin nodded furiously and smiled, and then he held his medal up. And then the pastor then turned to the congregation and then explained how that, you know, Kevin actually won only one medal. But actually, he could have won many medals because he's quite a fast runner. Many medals, but he didn't. Do you know why? You remember the story? Do you know why? It's because in every race, he would stop to help someone who has fallen down. And people who are lagging behind, he will go and then, come, 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 let's run together. You know? And so he only won one medal. Maybe that competition, he didn't feel like helping anybody, like, I don't know. So he won one medal. So all the other competitions, he was helping someone who has fallen down. Then he asked Kevin, is that true, Kevin? And then Kevin nodded, but this time with a kind of shyness and humility. Then the pastor then said, you know, Kevin, you are about the happiest person I ever know. Who, who makes you so happy all the time? Can answer or not? It's not a yes, no question, right? But it is, you know, who makes you so happy all the time? And Kevin points out, who? God, ah, right? God? And Kevin, again, you know, he raised, and then he raised his hand, he wanted to say something more, and then he did this, he did this. What does this, what would this, how would you interpret this? Jesus on the cross. So he said, okay, you mean Jesus, and he's dying for you? And to this, Kevin not only nodded, but with great excitement, started to jump up and down. And he then used sign language, sign language, to say that Jesus loves us all, to tell the people at the congregation that Jesus loves us all and that he loved them as well. And he then gave the pastor a huge hug and most people who were there listening were moved in their hearts. You know, my dear friends, this young man, Kevin, although his circumstances was a disadvantage to him, you know, Down syndrome with many other health complications, but he was able to influence others with his act of kindness. Simple act of stopping in every race to help someone who had fallen, you know, that brings a lot of hope to the world which is decaying and darkening. You know, nowadays sometimes we just have forgotten to pause, to stop and look and see if there is anyone who needs our help. We have just stopped doing that. You know, Kevin was able to be the salt and the light in where he was. And it's all because of what God had done for him. He says it himself. And so friends, you know, we are all called, you know, when we, when we live kingdom lifestyles, we, we will eventually become salt of the earth because it will radiate 
and light of the world. And we do not actually need to look far. Just look in Penang. Just look here in Penang and there's a lot of work that we can do in order to preserve the quality of life. And later, later, when, you know, when JD comes forward to, to share about the work of social concerns, I, I hope that you know, we will listen prayerfully and we will indeed consider how we can be salt and light in our very own community in Penang and what we can do in order to preserve the quality of life. You know, there's, uh, you know I, I, I actually end by this. Too. You know, the third question, the third question that I've put here in the, in the bulletin is, what are some of the practical ways we can be of influence to the people around us? You know, as later and as we hear, uh, our, our sister share with us. I, I want us to have this question in our mind and how we can be as a church, you know, as, as Trinity Methodist Church, how can we be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for your invitation to us to want to live kingdom lifestyles. And thank you, Lord, for challenging us and telling us that our identity is we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Help us, Lord, to be aware, Lord, of your, of your various work in our midst. And give us, Father, Lord, a heart that is willing to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. As part of our response, because today is Social Concern Sunday, as part of our response, we will, we will affirm our faith through the Methodist Social Creed. I, want to, I would like to invite all of us to stand as we affirm our faith in this Methodist social creed. We shall do this together. Right. One, two. We believe in God, creator of the world, and in Jesus Christ, the redeemer of creation. We believe in the Holy Spirit, through whom we acknowledge God's gifts, and we repent of our sins in misusing these gifts to idolatrous end. We affirm the natural world of God's handiwork and dedicate ourselves to its preservation, enhancement, and faithful use by humankind. We joyfully receive for ourselves and others the blessings of community, sexuality, marriage, and the family. We commit ourselves to the rights of men, women, children, youth, young adults, the seniors, and the people with disabilities, to improvement of the quality of life and to the rights and dignity of all persons. We believe in the right and duty of persons to work for the glory of God and the good of themselves and others and in the protection of their welfare in so doing in the rights to
to property as a trust from God, collective bargaining and responsible consumption, and in the elimination of economic and social distress. We dedicate ourselves to peace throughout the world, to the rule of justice and law among nations, and to individual freedom for all people of the world. We believe in the present and final triumph of God's word in human affairs and gladly accept our commission to manifest the life of the gospel in the world. Amen. We remain standing as we sing the Gloria Patri. standing as we sing our hymn of dedication, we have a story to tell to the nations, United Methodist Hymnal 569. 